Welcome to the third podcast in this series, Parliament Explained. I'm Mira Sayal, and in this series, I'm exploring exactly what happens in Parliament. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe to the programme on your podcast app so that it downloads automatically every Monday. In this episode, we'll be thinking about scrutiny. We've learned that the UK Parliament checks and challenges the work of the government. But how does this work in practice? It's time to hear in more detail about some of the tools used by MPs and members of the House of Lords to scrutinise the work of the government, such as questioning and debates. We'll begin by hearing more about the daily questions put to ministers in both chambers and how this can be used to respond to current events, highlight areas of public concern and to press for government action. Then we'll talk about ways MPs and members of the House of Lords can get more in-depth responses on a topic through written questions and debates. We'll also be exploring some of the traditions and formalities of how questions and debates work in each house. Some of the things we discuss in this episode may seem very familiar to you. Perhaps you've seen clips of Prime Minister's questions on the news or watched a debate in the House of Lords on TV. But there may be other areas of parliamentary business that are less familiar. We discovered in our first episode that the government is accountable to Parliament. This means that when Parliament questions the decisions or actions of the government, ministers are expected to come to Parliament to respond and explain the government's position. Oh, we certainly need to keep them in check. They certainly need to listen to the voice of the people. People need to know what's going on. They need to discuss it. It means, yeah, they think about points even further and challenging what their opinions are. So we're not led into a certain direction that actually we don't want to be led into. Because otherwise they would just be able to do whatever they want. I think there needs to be two sides to every argument, if not three or four sides. And I think challenging and debating is the only way that, that we're going to be more reflective of society. It's, it's an it's a absolute flagstone of our kind of democracy, that you're keeping things in check, you're always debating it so that, you know, not one political party can get away with anything and put whatever they want through. Really important to keep checks and balances. People from a varied backgrounds and beliefs and different, different types of people. It's not only the decisions which are important, but uh, the justifications behind decisions. People need to be aware completely of how the decisions reached. While some members of both houses are chosen to become government ministers, the vast majority of MPs and members of the House of Lords aren't, and their role is to work on our behalf to question and scrutinise the government. Scrutiny in Parliament takes many forms, including parliamentary questions, These can be either oral questions asked in person in the House of Commons or House of Lords chamber, or written questions that are submitted in writing and receive a written answer, or debates on specific subjects. These allow those taking part more time to raise different points and have them answered by a minister, and inquiries by select committees. We'll talk more about the scrutiny carried out by select committees in our next episode. But let's start with oral questions in the Commons. While these take place throughout the week and for all departments, one of the liveliest and most well-known events in the parliamentary calendar is Prime Minister's Question Time, sometimes referred to as PMQs. 
Well, I, I understand the concern both that the uh, Honourable Member rightly shows for her constituent and obviously the deep concern that her constituent has to find out what happened in this terrible tragedy. I understand that the Minister at the Foreign Office is work, actively working on this question. I will ask him to respond to the Honourable Lady uh, and to meet with her to discuss what more can be done. Prime Minister's Question Time, or PMQs, is one of the most well-known events of the Parliamentary Week. For half an hour each Wednesday in the House of Commons, MPs are given the opportunity to put questions directly to the Prime Minister on any subject for which the government is responsible. To tell us more, Lynn Hobson and Gary Hart are here. They're regional outreach officers for the Houses of Parliament. The Prime Minister answers questions in the House of Commons chamber for half an hour each sitting week, and it's broadcast live online at parliamentlive.tv, like most parliamentary business. These exchanges are lively. They're also regularly featured in the news headlines and shared widely on social media. So who gets to ask a question during PMQs? MPs need to enter a ballot for their chance to ask a question during PMQs. They submit a question in advance, which is known as tabling a question. Then the shuffle happens, where out of all the table questions, 15 are randomly chosen by a computer. By convention... The Leader of the Opposition is also allowed to ask up to six questions during a session of PMQs. The Leader of the second largest opposition party is normally called to ask at least one question as well. The Speaker will try to make sure a diversity of viewpoints is heard from different regions and political backgrounds. The Speaker will call on several different MPs during the session to achieve this balance. And what actually happens during this half-hour session? Prime Minister's questions normally starts with a routine question from a Member of Parliament about the Prime Minister's engagements for the day. The Prime Minister will respond by giving a list of their upcoming meetings. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Hugh Merriman. Question number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. I'm sure Members will want to join me in wishing people across the UK and around the world a happy St. Patrick's Day this coming Friday. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Because the whole House is generally present for this, the Prime Minister might also make an announcement or give an official reaction to a recent event at this time. The MP who asked the initial question about the PM's engagements gets to ask a follow-up question. This is called a supplementary question. The rules say that this question has to stick to the same subject as the original question. If that's about the Prime Minister's engagements for the day, then it can be on a really broad range of topics within the government's responsibilities. And the Prime Minister doesn't know what the supplementary question will be, so you can see why most MPs choose to table this engagements question as a way of entering the PMQ's ballot. In fact, When MPs are called to ask their question during the session itself, in most cases they simply ask their supplementary question. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Government chose to launch the pupil premium at Spire Junior School in Chesterfield, where 70% of pupils receive free school meals. Uh, The head teacher, Dave Shaw, was running the Great North Run for a cancer charity. However, her new school's funding formula means that the Spire Junior School now faced the biggest cuts in all of Derbyshire. Running for cash is now the only alternative to sacking staff. Will she go to the finish line and tell Dave Shaw how this is a fairer funding formula? 
I'm, I'm pleased to say that in the uh, local authority that covers the Honourable Gentleman's constituency, we've seen an increase of over 17,000 children at good or outstanding schools since 2010. All of this means the Prime Minister doesn't know in advance what questions they'll be asked. So they are extensively briefed by their government officials beforehand, who will try to predict which questions are coming up. The Leader of the Opposition is usually called early on in the proceedings and, unlike most other MPs, has the chance to come back with several other further questions. Media attention will often focus on the performance of the two party leaders during these very public exchanges. Mr Speaker, what the Prime Minister is doing is petulantly aiming a threat at our public services with her threats about a bargain basement Britain. Is her priority our struggling NHS, those denied social care, children having their school funding cut, or is it once again further cuts in big business taxation to make the rich even better off? Prime Minister! I would simply remind the Right Honourable Gentleman on the issue of workers' rights that I have been very clear that this government will protect workers' rights. Indeed, we have a review of modern employment law to ensure that employment legislation is keeping up with the modern labour market. Does every MP who wants to ask a question get to do so? PMQs are always oversubscribed. In the past, it was quite common for a session to end before all the questions on the order paper were answered. As Speaker, John Berko has established a brisker style to give more backbenchers a chance to take part and he usually makes sure he calls all 15 MPs, as well as several others, even if this means the session runs over by a few minutes. I'm sorry, Mr Speaker, that's not good enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. The department... Absolutely. I'm sorry, being heckled, being heckled when dealing with communities that are so deprived does not behold Tory members well in Scotland. The Leader of the House is correct to say the Leader of the House is correct to say that the Department of Work and Pension has plans to cut the estate by twenty percent. What the DWP is planning to do to Glasgow is to cut it by fifty percent. Why is this government planning to disproportionately cut vital job centres in some of the most deprived communities in our country? Why? Order! Order! You can follow PMQs live online every week on parliamentlive.tv and you can also listen back to any edition of PMQs in podcast form on SoundCloud at www.soundcloud.com forward slash UK Parliament. You'll be able to hear how the Prime Minister begins with answering a question on their engagements, answers a supplementary question and then responds to questions from other MPs and opposition leaders. In February 2014, the Hansard Society published Tuned In or Turned Off, Public Attitudes to Prime Minister's Questions. This report studied public attitudes to PMQs and asked whether PMQs is a cue for wider negative perceptions of Parliament. Lynn Hobson's back to tell us more. The Hansard Society report included a lot of interesting findings about PMQs. It acknowledged that this is the best-known aspect of Parliament's work and that PMQs is famous worldwide for its adversarial atmosphere and the public are most aware of this for the same reason. It gets coverage on the television news, for example. 
so PMQs is well known, but we shouldn't mistake that for being highly approved. Here are the most common words the public use to describe PMQs. Noisy. Childish. Over the top. Pointless. So the report found some negative public perceptions about PMQs, and the noisy aggressive atmosphere can be off-putting for some, but that's one point of view. Other people think that this weekly clash reminds us of the essential nature of politics, that opposing views are worth fighting for. And some have made the point that people around the world who live in less open societies would love the chance to see their own leaders held to account in such a public forum week after week. So, on the one hand, PMQs can seem a bit rowdy, but on the other, perhaps we can be proud of what it represents. So what happened when I asked members of the public their opinions on PMQs? I think PMQs is effective to the extent that it's an opportunity for the opposition to hold the government to account. So I think it would be good if the opposition had more opportunity to ask further questions. There seems to be like a lot of huffing and puffing and a lot of here, here, and da, 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 and, and I just I wonder how much the kind of exhibition side of it. I wonder how much that actually gets in the way of getting anything done. I think the follow-up from things like prime minister's questions is so few and far between that it's almost futile to have the debate in the first place. I think it's a good thing. It raises awareness, and for those that are already aware, you know, can raise their causes. It's important for the prime minister to interact with the parliament that like everyone votes on now it's staged a lot of the time i think it's become very sort of showy and things now whereas it was i think it was more perceptive before it's a sort of it's a chance for the prime minister to be properly grilled on on the issues of the day and i think that's a good thing ask the question and give a straight answer that's what people want and give straight answers because at the end of the day, a, a question is asked to the Prime Minister and they just rebuff it off. They never give a straight yes or no. Media needs to change what they report, and that would help. It is shouty. I don't think they get anywhere from all the shouting. It, it actually, then, it, it puts people off actually listening to it or watching it, because all you're tuning into, it's them arguing with each other rather than actually discussing the point from an objective point of view. Half an hour is not a lot of time. There's not a lot of questions to really get through. I'd say extend it to an hour, maybe even twice a week. I think it's really important. I'm now going to focus more broadly on both oral and written parliamentary questions. These are tools used by members of the House of Lords and MPs to hold the government to account. Prime Minister's Question Time is just one of many oral question sessions that take place during a week in Parliament. In fact, members of the House of Lords and MPs in the Commons have an opportunity to put questions to government ministers or spokespeople on most sitting days. Let's hear more from Gary Hart and Lynn Hobson. Cabinet ministers come to the House of Commons each sitting day from Monday to Thursday to respond to oral questions for up to an hour about the work of their department. Each department is called to appear about once every five sitting weeks according to a rota set by the government. Most of the questions asked at these sessions have been submitted at least three days in advance and the full text of each question can be seen beforehand in a numbered list on the day's order paper. So during the session the speaker calls out just the question number and the minister responds by reading out an answer they have prepared in advance. But then, like a PMQs, the MP who submitted the question can ask a follow-up supplementary question. An MP's supplementary question must be on the same subject as the original question they tabled, but this time the minister won't have a prepared response ready. 
So this can be an opportunity for opposition MPs to try to wrong foot a minister by putting them on the spot publicly about something or exposing an apparent failing. On the other hand, an MP from the government side might ask a question that allows the minister to highlight an apparent success. If the minister doesn't have the facts and figures to hand that are needed to answer a supplementary question, they normally promise to write to the MP afterwards with the details. Turner. Coastal areas have specific challenges because they do not have 360 degree access to trade with neighbouring areas. Does the right honourable, my right honourable friend, regard the Isle of Wight as a special case? What I can say to my honourable friend is that government recognises the specific barriers to economic growth experienced by coastal areas such as the Isle of Wight. And that is why we have uh, extended the Coastal Communities Fund by at least a further £90 million across the UK over the current Parliament. And in addition, as my honourable friend will know, through the Solent Growth Deal, the Isle of Wight has benefited from almost £15 million of investment to grow the skills base, support business growth and improve transport links. Not all the questions submitted in advance can be answered in the time that's available. A random computerised shuffle is used to decide the order in which MPs' questions are answered on the day, just like with PMQs. Most ministerial question sessions end with the chance for MPs to ask topical questions. These are also entered via a ballot. And as the name suggests, this is a great way to get an answer from government ministers about issues that may only have come up that day. In the House of Lords, oral questions take place every Monday to Thursday and start the day's business. Instead of putting questions to a particular government department, they're addressed to the government as a whole. A relevant minister with a seat in the Lords or another government spokesperson, like a whip, will answer. A member posing a question doesn't actually ask it out loud in the chamber. The text appears on a pre-published order paper, so they simply say, My Lords, I beg leave to ask the question standing in my name on the order paper. Then the minister responds from the dispatch box. Four questions appear on the order paper each day in the Lords, but these can be followed up by several supplementary questions on the same topic from the other members. They're taken from each party and crossbench members in turn, and the government spokesperson or minister has to answer each one. Here, the Lord Speaker's role is a bit different to that of the common speaker. In the Lords, it's the members themselves who make sure they'll stick to the right order. If a peer speaks out of turn, you'll hear the others call out our side or the name of the party that should go next. It's an example of the self-regulating nature of the Lords. Being focused on schools, helping people, uh, children who are currently out of school to actually get into school so their learning doesn't uh, suffer. So those are absolutely right and he's right that we should focus on it. My Lords, would it not make better sense if we in the United Kingdom, I, th- I think this side I think, would it not make better sense if... My Lords, my Lords, it is the turn of the Liberal Democrat benches. It's always their turn. Uh, My Lords, uh, may I ask the Noble Lord, the Minister, for an assurance that should the Kazakh peace negotiations take place, that that the government will do their (coughs) utmost to make sure that Syrian refugees and internally displaced persons are fully um, considered Because of the open nature of these follow-up questions, the Lords have even more opportunity to challenge the government on its work than the MPs have in the Commons. Oral questions in the Lords can be tabled anywhere between one month and 24 hours in advance. 
This example was one of four supplementary questions on train company strikes. It's uh, clear that as a result of uh, poor performance and days of industrial action, that passengers, staff, and because of the nature of the franchise contract, the taxpayer, are incurring financial costs. Could the noble lord, the minister, say what financial penalties have so far been incurred by the train operator as a result of, first, poor performance, and second, days of industrial action? Because if no financial penalties have been incurred by the operator, then what is the incentive, first, for the train operator to address issues of poor performance, and second, to resolve the current industrial relations issues, if neither matter is affecting them financially? As well as the questions scheduled in advance, members of the Lords can enter a ballot to ask a topical oral question as the fourth question in the day's session, Tuesday to Thursday. This is usually drawn a few days before each session, providing another route for peers to quiz the government on live issues of the day. The grilling ministers get in the Lords can appear polite and genteel, but don't be fooled, it can be formidable and ministers have nowhere to hide. Lord Rooker, a Labour peer, served as a minister in both the Commons and the Lords. In a Lords debate in 2010, he said, I was under greater scrutiny in my eight years here as a minister than I ever was in that other place. And by the other place, he meant the House of Commons. Lord Rooker went on to say, It was because of the nature of the way this place works, whether question time, select committees or the floor of the House, there is no doubt about it. As well as coming to answer questions, government ministers and spokespeople often come to Parliament at short notice to announce important decisions or respond to events in person. They're also expected to come and report back after international summits and meetings with foreign governments. Ministers are expected to keep Parliament informed about important policy decisions and any other significant developments. Because most ministers are MPs, This is often done by making an oral statement in the Commons Chamber, where the Minister reads out a prepared speech and then takes questions from MPs for up to an hour. The statement is normally repeated by a Minister from the same department in the House of Lords Chamber, so members of the Lords have the chance to ask the Government questions there too. Lords, with the leave of the House, I shall repeat a statement being made by my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, in another place. The statement is as follows. With permission, Mr Speaker, I would like to make a statement about the Government's Corporate Governance Green Paper, which was published earlier today. The topics for ministerial statements are wide-ranging. For example, during January 2017, ministers came to Parliament to make statements on subjects ranging from the then forthcoming Northern Ireland Assembly election, to the process for triggering Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, the new funding formula for schools, to the situation in Yemen. But MPs and members of the House of Lords don't have to wait for ministers to decide whether or not a matter is important enough for them to come to Parliament. If something happens that needs an urgent response from a minister, an MP can ask the Speaker to grant them what's known as an urgent question. An urgent question requires a minister to come to the House of Commons that same day to explain what the government is doing about an issue. The current Speaker of the Commons has been more inclined to grant these than his predecessors were. In December 2016, urgent questions granted by the Speaker included those on the crisis in social care, on the Casey report into the integration of migrants in the UK, and on Southern Rail's train services. Order. 
Urgent question. Caroline Lucas. Mr. Speaker, if the Minister will make a statement on Southern Rail Services. Minister Paul Maynard. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Performance on the Southern Network has been affected by a combination of factors over the previous months. These have included trade union action, infrastructure reliability, and operator issues. The unions have stepped up their industrial action in the run up to Christmas, additionally, coordinating it with action on the underground network. Urgent questions have become a way for the Commons to engage immediately with a high profile issue of the moment that wouldn't otherwise find its way onto the House's agenda. It puts the government under pressure to respond, report and explain. The government is immediately informed when an urgent question is tabled and this alone can sometimes be enough for ministers to volunteer a full statement. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I thank the minister for that reply. I put this question today with cross-party support from members right across the House because on Friday we heard that Southern Rail services will be severely disrupted every day from tomorrow until further notice. But that grim warning of imminent service collapse comes on top of more than two years of rail chaos, long before any strikes happened. The equivalent of an urgent question in the House of Lords is called a private notice question. They're less common. These allow Lords members to raise urgent matters with the government on any sitting day. Lords, my Lords, I beg leave to ask a question of which I have given private notice. The question is as follows. To ask Her Majesty's Government what is their response to the suggestion from the Royal Colleges of Medicine that the Government pauses work on the Junior Hospital Doctors' Contract and that the BMA pauses work on planning further industrial action for five days to allow further talks to take place on the Junior Hospital Doctors' Contract. Private notice questions are taken immediately after oral questions or first thing on a Friday. They aren't meant to be used as a prompt for an immediate debate and proceedings follow the rules for oral questions. Supplementary questions here have to be short and include no more than two points. Because of this, proceedings on a private notice question aren't supposed to take more than about 10 minutes. But questions asked orally in the chambers make up only a small part of the questions that are put to ministers by members of parliament every day. The majority of parliamentary questions tabled are questions requiring a written answer. This type of question allows MPs and Lords to scrutinise in detail specific areas of government policy and to persist in their line of questioning beyond what is available to them through oral questions. Written questions have one great advantage over oral questions. They can be followed up in much more detail. At question time, a question is asked and answered and then the moment has passed. But written questions can follow up the precise conduct of the government policy in a particular area and probe more deeply. And government ministers are expected to provide a written response to every written question that's been submitted. Written questions are used for many different reasons, including to obtain detailed information about a specific government policy, to obtain statistics on the activities of a government department, to press for government action on a particular issue, to follow up on specific commitments or promises that have been made by ministers. Members of the House of Lords can table up to six questions each day and can expect an answer within 14 days. 
MPs can expect an answer to their questions within seven days, although with two days' notice, a reply can be requested on a named day. All of the information obtained through these questions, including the over 40,000 oral and written questions tabled by MPs in the 2015-16 session, is freely accessible in the public domain, as both the question and answer are published online in the Written Questions and Answers database on the UK Parliament website. Just search for Written Questions and Answers. Let's leave questions for now and focus for the rest of this episode on another core aspect of the business in both houses, debates. Debates are used in both houses to scrutinise the work of the government. They enable MPs and Lords to obtain more detailed responses from the government and allow a range of opinions to be voiced and for issues to be discussed at length. Subjects for debate can range from local issues, such as the proposed closure of a local hospital, to matters of global importance, for example, the status of refugee children, or the response to public health emergencies, such as the Ebola virus. We will be debating in this House very shortly new powers for transport for the North, which are regional. Let's start looking at the North as a region, not as tribal representing Liverpool, Manchester, Hull or whatever. Get back to thinking strategically. I'm, I'm glad to be following the noble yeah. Lord Prescott, um, uh, with whom I have agreed considerably with, what, with his remarks. The picture painted in the IPPR report, State of the North, is one I recognise. The analysis reflects much of that which was done by the Regional Development Agency, Yorkshire Forward, ten years ago. The analysis then, as now, is that the challenges for Yorkshire are poor connectivity relatively low skills and an inadequate level of investment in new businesses to transform the region from its 19th century industrial past. Every debate is attended by a government minister who must listen to the views expressed and respond to the points raised. Debates also take place at different stages of the legislative cycle, the process of making laws, in both houses, as we will find out in a later episode. And after major government announcements, like the Queen's Speech or the annual budget statement, several days are normally devoted to debating their contents. As well as government-sponsored debates and debates chosen by the main opposition parties, individual MPs and Lords can also apply for an opportunity to hold a debate on a topic of their choosing. Regular slots for these are available throughout the week in both houses. Next, Lynn Hobson and Gary Hart tell us what happens when the Commons debates the issues of the day. Commons debates are often lively. MPs can intervene on each other's speeches to support or challenge what they are saying. It's a dynamic style of discussion. MPs usually respond to the points made by other speakers, rather than reading out formal, prepared speeches. Mind you, that doesn't mean there aren't rules for debates. MPs have a right to be heard without overwhelming background noise. And... Unparliamentary language, such as insulting another member, isn't allowed. What the Labour Party fails to understand. What the Labour Party. Uh, order! Order! There's far too much noise. Mr. Pound, calm yourself. You're supposed to be a senior statesman. And order! <laughs> and order! And, and, and Mr. Rotherham, you should re- reserve your shouting for the stands at Anfield. The Prime Minister. 
as I, as I say, all councils, all councils have the opportunity to raise the 3% precept. I'm now going to find out about some of the conventions that remain an important part of how business takes place in the House of Commons chamber. We'll hear how members address each other during a debate and how decisions are made. The Speaker of the House of Commons doesn't take sides in a debate. Their role is to be the referee of the match and not a player. The Honourable Gentleman is really an excitable Zebedee. <laughs> it has been made abundantly clear to him that the Minister is not giving way. Minister. Everyone wants to get the attention of the Speaker and to get noticed, members stand up. It's very much for the Speaker to choose who to call. So how does the Speaker decide? Well, the Speaker goes back and forth from one side to the other, so there's a mix and balance between the governing and opposition parties. They will try to call MPs from different intakes, not just from people who came in 40 years ago, but from people who maybe came in two years ago. The Speaker also tries to make sure there's a geographical spread of MPs from constituencies across the country. And to some extent, they will look to call people expressing a range of different views. There's a certain way that people refer to each other in debates too. Instead of using their name, they will say, for example, my honourable friend. That's a term MPs use in the Commons for others in their own party. Or they refer to them by the constituency they represent, such as the Honourable Member for Darlington. That's how they would refer to an MP on the opposing benches. And when they say Mr Speaker? That's how they address the House of Commons Speaker. Only the Speaker will call an MP by their name. And given that there are 650 elected MPs in Parliament, that's a lot of names to remember. Debates in the House of Lords work differently to those in the House of Commons. This is because the Lords has a more self-regulating nature. As we mentioned earlier, the Lord Speaker isn't there to impose order. The House as a whole takes responsibility for discipline in the Chamber or keeping order. Self-regulation also allows for more flexibility, so that members of the House of Lords have more time than MPs might typically have in the Commons to examine and debate issues in depth. In the House of Lords Chamber, about 40% of time is spent holding the Government to account for its decisions and actions. There is considerable experience and expertise to draw on here, which makes for a more in-depth discussion. Members of the Lords come from a wide range of professions, including medicine, law, business, the arts, science, a great deal of knowledge to draw on in debates. Does my noble friend the Minister feel that this is the way forward and we ought to concentrate more on this, as by the time prisoners come out, it is often too late to try and treat their addictions? Well, I thank my noble friend uh, for that question and, um, and, and, re and respect the great experience she has in the area of health. It is absolutely right that prisoners uh, should re receive uh, treatment for prevention and for the treatment of their drug use because when they come out of prisons, um, it, is, it is very important that they have recovered from their drug use and, and, the, and the issues associated with it. There are three main types of debate in the House of Lords. The first are general debates. These usually happen on Thursday as one longer debate or two short ones. In total, this lasts around five hours. This is where members are able to put their experience to good use, discussing current issues and drawing the government's attention to concerns. Each party is given opportunities throughout the year to initiate such debates and backbench members can enter a ballot to propose general debates. The second type of debate in the Lords are short debates. 
These are about an hour to 90 minutes long and happen at the end of business or during breaks in the main business. In October 2013, a weekly one-hour slot on Thursdays for a topical question for short debate was introduced. Backbench members can enter a ballot to propose topical subjects for these debates. The third kind of Lord's debate are those on committee reports or general issues of the day. These don't have a set timing. As in the Commons, a government minister or spokesperson must be present at every debate in the Lords to respond to the questions and issues that have been raised. In the 2015-16 session, Lords members tabled 8,842 oral and written questions and held 203 debates, highlighting their role in holding the government to account. Votes in Parliament are often referred to as divisions. At the end of a debate in the Commons, the Speaker will usually say, The question is as on the order paper. As many as there are of the opinion say aye, and those MPs who support the motion will yell aye. The Speaker then asks those who don't support the motion to say so by saying, Of the contrary, no, and some MPs will yell no. Divisions in the House of Lords are similar. The Lord Speaker will say, As many of that opinion will say content, and those who agree yell content. Those who oppose the motion are then asked to say so when the Lord Speaker asks, of the contrary, not content, and those who oppose will say, not content. The question is that new clause 14 be added to the bill. As many as are of that opinion say, aye. Aye. Of the contrary, no. If there's clearly no consensus at that point, the Speaker in the Commons says, Division, clear the lobbies. Or in the Lords, the Lord Speaker will say, Division, clear the bar. Then the division bell starts ringing. At that moment, members divide with those in support of whatever the issue happens to be, going to the I or content lobby, and those against it going to the no or not content lobby. Wherever you are in Parliament, you hear the division bell for the house you sit in ringing, and MPs or Lords have eight minutes to get to the division lobbies before the doors are shut and locked. If an MP or member of the House of Lords hasn't made it to the lobby within eight minutes, they've missed the vote. That's it for this episode. We've covered some of the ways that the government is held to account by Parliament and made to answer for its decisions. And next time, we're going beyond the chambers to find out about the select committees that are appointed in both houses to examine government policies in detail and investigate the work of government departments. If you want to find out more about the UK Parliament and the government, why not have a look online at www.parliament.uk. That's where you can find out more about what's happening in the House of Commons and the House of Lords, as well as the history of Parliament and how to visit. You can follow proceedings in the House of Commons and the House of Lords live on www.parliamentlive.tv, on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash UK House of Commons and www.facebook.com forward slash UK House of Lords. You can also follow on Twitter at House of Commons and at UK House of Lords. And if you have a specific question about the work, history or membership of Parliament, you can pick up the phone. The House of Commons Inquiry Service can be reached for free on 0800 112 4272. 
The House of Lords Inquiry Service is on 0800-223-0855, also free. Callers with a text phone can talk through text relay by calling 18001 followed by either of those full numbers. If you'd like to hear Parliament in Action, you can hear the Prime Minister's Question Time podcast by searching for UK Parliament on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening to Parliament Explained and I hope you've enjoyed the programme. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe to the programme on your podcast app so that it downloads automatically every Monday. I'm Mira Sayal and I'll catch you next time.